Welcome. Thanks, Scott and the worship team for leading us in that beautiful time of uh, worship together. We're actually going to talk about that a little bit this morning. Uh, my name is Will Duvall. I'm the associate pastor here at West Hills, and uh, it's great to have all of you with us, uh, especially if you're new or newer to West Hills. We uh, want to welcome you and um, hope that you find uh, this to be a welcoming church. And um, if you can, we'd love to have you stick around, uh, as Jody already mentioned, for the picnic. It's a great time to be welcomed and to um, meet some new, new folks here at the church. Um, I am filling in this morning for Pastor Gary again, uh, who was scheduled to preach and is still, um, as I think uh, Jody uh, also mentioned, um, is still suffering from um, uh, his back injury. And so um, we, we want to keep him uh, in our prayers still uh, this morning and um, just pray for a quick recovery and healing for him and for answers uh, for the doctors and um, skill uh, with any procedures that may or may not need to, to be done in the coming future. So um, he, he asked me, as I said, to, to fill in for him and, and to not uh, steal his passage from Second Peter. So we're not jumping back into Second Peter series just yet. Uh, he wanted me to preach a standalone message. And so I was thinking about uh, where, where I would go when I would I preach, um, uh, my wife reminded me that uh, I actually um, had a sermon that I had preached actually at another church here in town that I was interviewing with um, that I've never preached here. I didn't get the job, so I'm not sure if, <laughs> if that, uh, I guess we'll see if, if uh, you give me any feedback if, if you think there's a reason for that. Um, uh, and then she also <laughs> reminded me later in the week, I think just like yesterday, after it was way too late, um, that I think I may have actually even sent this sermon uh, to the search team. Uh, so if, you, if this sounds familiar for you and you, you hired me, um, I, I, I don't know, I'm getting, I guess, mixed messages and reviews on this sermon. Not that it's all about the sermon that you preach, but uh, yeah, hopefully it will be beneficial to you, even if you're hearing it for kind of the one and a half time I did rework some things. So. Um, so if you would, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? We're going to be in Hebrews 5, uh, verses 7 through 14 this morning. So if you want to turn there, if you have your own Bibles, Hebrews 5, verses 7 through 14. Um, if you don't have uh, a Bible of your own, we'll have it on the screen here. I will uh, read it for us. And Karen, I don't know if we can get the TV on the back on as well, but um, I'll go ahead and read it for us if you want to read along. Silently, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of salvation, eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment 
trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. that it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so uh, we ask now, Holy Spirit, that just as you uh, inspired and and blessed the original author who penned these words, that you would now come and inspire and bless us, uh, open our our spiritual ears and and eyes and hearts uh, to see you more clearly this morning, to see ourselves more clearly this morning, to see our need for you more clearly this morning, and to humbly and obediently submit and be willing and, and, and humble enough uh, to let you do the work in our hearts that you want to do this morning. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And then you may be seated. <clears throat> Got Milk is the title of this message this morning. Got Milk. Do you remember that highly successful advertising campaign from Big Dairy? that ran for over two decades. Everybody remember that? If you don't, I don't know where you were. It was all over the place. Their marketing was so popular that there for a few years, you literally couldn't go to the mall or the ball game or the movies without seeing someone in that iconic Got Milk shirt. Or one of the innumerable spinoffs, Got Bacon, Got Beer, or everyone's favorite Christian parody, Got Jesus, right? You remember that? One of my favorite TV ads of all time was the commercial uh, where the mom tries to convince her two children sitting at the breakfast table there to drink their milk. She says, milk builds strong bones, so drink up, she orders them. We don't want milk, they protest. Milk is for babies. They continue, Mr. Miller told us he never drinks milk, and look at him. And they wave at Mr. Miller out the window, and the camera pans to the neighbor's yard, where an elderly, friendly Mr. Miller is doing yard work, and he waves back at the kids. But as he turns back to his wheelbarrow and attempts to pick it up, his brittle, milk-deprived bones fail him, and the children look on in horror as Mr. Miller's arms are ripped off of his torso, And the kids, along with the mom, let out a harrowing scream, lunge for their milk glasses, and chug as quickly as they possibly can. And the commercial ends with the iconic, got milk. Milk, after all, as the earlier 1980s slogan goes, anybody remember that one? Does a body good. It does a body good. Or does it? It's the question we want to examine a little bit this morning. Let's look at the facts. This is an excerpt from a scientific journal that I pulled uh, entitled Nature. The the title of the article from 2013 was The Milk Revolution. Interesting stuff here. Listen. During the most recent ice age, milk was essentially a toxin to adults because unlike children, they could not produce the lactase enzyme required to break down the the lactose, the main sugar in milk. But as farming started to replace hunting and gathering in the Middle East a few millennia ago, cattle herders learned how to reduce lactose in dairy products to tolerable levels by fermenting milk to make cheese or yogurt. And so later, a genetic mutation spread through Europe that gave people the ability to produce lactase and drink milk throughout their entire lives. Today, young children almost universally produce lactase and can digest the lactose in their mother's milk, but as they mature, most adults still switch off the lactase gene. Only 35% 
of the human population today can digest lactose beyond the age of about seven or eight. It's interesting. Now, 75% of Americans can digest lactose uh, because the gene is more prevalent in Caucasians. But if you are one of the 25% who still gets ill at even the mention of milk, I'm going to go ahead and apologize on the front end because you might be a little queasy for the next half hour or so. Uh, but but these, these statistics here and this, this data is very interesting because I think what it means is at the very least we have to qualify that statement that milk does a body good considering that human-wide, as many as two-thirds of us can't even tolerate it past early childhood. So... so what, what's going on here? Well, I think that this, while he might, of course, not have been privy to all the archaeological genetic data, I think this is at least in part uh, what the author of Hebrews has in mind in chapter 5 here when he pens these words. Now, to give you a little context, we're not sure who wrote the book of Hebrews, um, but we do know that uh, he was writing predominantly to a, a Jewish religiously well-informed church in Jerusalem sometime probably just before the destruction of the temple in the year 70 AD. And since the early church started, it was founded in Jerusalem, these believers would have been the longest tenured Christians of their day, some of them perhaps having even walked with Jesus while he was on earth before his crucifixion. And so keeping that context in mind, Let's look back at the passage again and what he has to say to them. The author starts by reminding these believers, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And Jesus was heard because of his reverence. Although he was already a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I think he's kind of doing two th things paradoxically in that passage, that first opening section. First, he simply reminds them of the gospel, the, the, the beautiful, simple, nuts and bolts, basic milk message of the gospel. Jesus, God who became flesh, who suffered for our sake, who died to atone for our sins, who's become our eternal salvation, our great high priest mediator to make a way for us to be reconciled back to the Father. It's that simple, life-changing, beautiful good news of the gospel. But then the second thing that the author does here even subtly within that passage, is he packs about as much complexity and depth and theological profundity into this short three-sentence mini-paragraph as you'll find in all of Scripture. Just consider with me, I, I made a quick list of my kind of theological questions that could arise out of this passage. Maybe you can identify even more just in these three verses. Verse 7, it refers back to the days of Jesus' flesh. But, but didn't Jesus resurrect bodily from the grave? Didn't he ascend bodily to heaven? So is he not still then in the flesh in a sense? Still in verse 7, Jesus prayed to him who was able to save him. That, of course, at least arises that, that huge question for us of faith. If God was able to save Jesus, and surely he didn't want desire for his only begotten son to suffer and, and be murdered, be crucified, couldn't he have found another way 
for him to be saved and to save us while sparing Jesus. Verse seven still, Jesus was heard because of his reverence, the passage says. Does that mean that God doesn't hear my prayers unless I'm humble and faithful and obedient enough? Reverent enough? These are big questions. Verse eight says Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. How does someone who's omniscient learn anything? Wouldn't he have already known obedience? Hadn't Jesus already mastered obedience all through his 33 years of life to that point? Isn't, he go, isn't his going to the cross proof of his obedience in the first place? Verse 9 says, being made perfect. Wasn't Jesus already perfect before his suffering? Again, if he had to be made perfect, was Jesus God all along, or did he become God when he suffered on the cross? Verse 9, he's the source of eternal salvation to all who obey. I thought it was by grace we're saved through faith, through belief. Now you're telling me I have to obey? My salvation is dependent on my obedience to him? Uh-oh, I might be in trouble. Not to mention verse 10, who in the world is Melchizedek? So these are just, these are just a, a few of the, of the questions that arise out of this passage. I'm not gonna take time to explain all of these, but they're big, important theological questions. They are important questions for us to ask and to answer. The Bible has answers for all of them, but some of the answers for some of these questions require in-depth study. You don't get it by a cursory reading, a cursory glance at Scripture, the milk of Scripture. This is the meat of, of, of God's Word and God's nature and character and Jesus and who he was. So the basic message of the gospel is beautiful in its simplicity, and yet when we start to peel back the layers, we find enough depth and nuance and complexity to last us a whole lifetime of study and devotion. And I think that's exactly what the author of Hebrews wants for us in the passage for this morning, the second half of the passage. That's why he gets frustrated with them. They're sticking on the mil- the simplicity part. They're not going deeper into the depth of what he just unpacked for them. So read what he says starting in verse 11 there. About this, we have much to say. We could just camp out here and do a whole sermon series on verses 7 through 10 of Hebrews 5. There's so much to say about it, and it's hard to explain. He affirms that that these are difficult theological truths to work out, to reason out. But what makes them even more difficult to explain to the church in Jerusalem is that you've become dull of hearing, he tells them. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you still need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, unskilled in handling the scriptures, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So let's break that that down in your bulletins with a side-by-side comparison here. The author is using a dietary metaphor to draw a direct contrast between two different types of believers, those who still need milk and those who are ready for solid food, what we'll call meat, because it makes it easier mnemonically, milk meat. He says you feed milk to a child, to one who needs to be taught, who needs things boiled down to and kept at the level of basic principles of faith, who's not yet ready to dissect the onion, to plumb its depths, and who thus is still at this point unskilled in the word of righteousness. They don't know how to handle the scriptures with any depth or complexity. By contrast, anyone who's ready for meat must be mature, must be capable, him or herself, of teaching these basic principles to others. 
and who must be one whose powers of discernment are trained by constant practice, able to distinguish good from evil. So both of these types, this is important, both of these types of believers are equally Christians, right? They're equally Christian, just as those of us here in the sanctuary, those little, you know, 18 month and and less uh, toddlers running around, babies, infants in the nursery right now are equally human. We're, We're equally Christians. We're just at different stages in our walks with Christ. We have to recognize that and appreciate that and and adjust accordingly our diets. We have different dietary needs. So let's let's think a little bit about what what is milk? What is meat? What is is this distinction that he's getting to? Well, I think that we can turn back to biology again, maybe for some clues. According to Wikipedia, so you know it must be true, milk is a nutrient-rich, easily digestible food source produced by female mammals for feeding their young. So it is literally a byproduct of the mother's own food supply as the hormone prolactin prompts the absorption absorption of proteins and sugars and fats from her blood supply into the mammary glands for milk production. Meat, then, by contrast, meat is where those proteins and fats in her bloodstream come from in the first place. So if we really play this distinction, this metaphor that Hebrews 5 uh, is giving us, if we play it out to its natural biological implications, we might say that meat is the direct first-hand food source that is used in the production of milk, which is an indirect second-hand digested then absorbed byproduct. So consider with me this morning, as we play the metaphor out, what are those areas in your Christian walk, in your faith and practice, where you would say, I experience direct, unmediated, firsthand communion with the living God, what Jesus describes in John 15 as being connected directly to the true vine of Christ. In what ways do you, by contrast then, in what ways do you rely on the aid of others? Thinking back to our Mother's Day message from a couple weeks ago, spiritual parents, mentors, pastors, etc., who help you digest and grow. The following list of spiritual disciplines is by no means exhaustive, but it may at least begin to help us to, to think through the distinction that I think uh, Hebrews 5 is getting at here between milk and meat. So take these examples for what they are. Pastoring, Pastor Gary and I chew on the meat of God's word throughout the week under the guidance of the Holy Spirit as we dwell, meditate, and marinate on Scripture, and then we we seek on Sunday mornings to feed it to you in sermonic form. Now, that that is not to say, that's not to take away from the sacredness of what goes on in this space at 10 o'clock, 10.30 on on Sunday mornings. It's not to say that God isn't here with us right now, moving and stirring in our hearts and our spirits, even hopefully as we hear these words and they come to life for us and we respond to the, to the exposition of his word, but there's still a difference. There's a difference there. Another example, you might benefit vicariously from a personal conversation from someone sharing in life group with you a story of how they've experienced God that past week. Or maybe through your favorite devotional publication or a Christian blog online or listening to a fellow believer sing on the radio. These are all wonderful things, and yet I think we can contrast them with the more direct, these more indirect glimpses of God with the more meaty, direct encounters of God that we consume 
and our daily bread as, as we study the scriptures for ourselves personally throughout the week, or we spend time with God one-on-one in prayer throughout the week, or in worship, or at the communion table. Now, here's, here's the heart of this morning's message, the, the meat of the message, if you will. Both biology and scripture clearly affirm that milk and meat are both vitally important components of a healthy, well-balanced diet. That's what we're at. That's, what, that's where we're going this morning. A healthy, well-balanced diet. Milk is not a bad thing. It does indeed do a body good, but here's the catch. So long as it is developmentally appropriate. It would not be developmentally appropriate for, looking around, anyone in this room to consume nothing but milk. Where things go wrong is where our diet gets out of balance. And that can happen, I think, in actually one of three ways. And interestingly, we see this metaphor continued in in a lot of other passages of Scripture. And so I want to show you three ways that our our diets can get out of balance and and, and three different Scripture passages where we see that uh, evidenced. First, uh, in your bulletins there, infants should not consume meat. It is not advisable to force-feed meat to a young baby. Emily, Rebecca, other moms of young infants in here, hopefully this is not the first that you're hearing of this. Milk milk is the way to go with babies. Milk is developmentally appropriate, and it's developmentally appropriate for the church in Asia Minor to whom Peter writes his epistles, the very ones that we've been studying over the past few months together in our sermon series. Peter addresses those letters, I'll remind you, to God's elect exiles, who we know for the most, for the most part, they were recent converts, they were gen, of Gentile heavy churches made up predominantly of new believers. So listen to how Peter accordingly addresses these recent converts in chapter one of 1 Peter. You have been born again. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter says, you're babies. You're you're Christian spiritual babies. You don't need in-depth exegesis or systematic theology right now. You need a healthy dose of the core gospel truths boiled down for you into basic teachings that you can easily digest and understand. And so as we've just got done studying in some of these chapters of 1 Peter, that's exactly what Peter gives them. In chapter 1, it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold you were redeemed, but the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, He was chosen before the creation of the world, revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believed in God and were raised from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and your hope were in God. And then again in chapter 2, he repeats, he himself bore our sins and his body on the cross so that we might die to sin in order to live for righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseers of your souls. And then in chapter 3, for Christ has suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. These are some of the most beautiful, powerful, but simple, basic teachings, doctrines, articulations of the gospel in all of Scripture that we find in 1 Peter. Because that's what his churches needed. That's where they were in their spiritual maturation. Milk was developmentally appropriate for them. Now, contrast that with what Paul tells 
his church in Corinth to whom he writes in his first letter, 1 Corinthians. Paul expresses frustration at their stunted spiritual growth. The second type of dietary imbalance then is when non-infants are still consuming only milk. That's what we referred to a moment ago. This was a church who Paul had personally himself invested 18 months of his limited adult Christian lifespan. He had invested in discipling this church in Corinth during his second missionary journey, just months prior to penning this letter. I mean, this is just months later now that he finds them doing these crazy things that he writes about in 1 Corinthians. Um, and, and, and rebukes them. And so when he finds them already so quickly falling back into their old pagan ways and not growing up into their new identities in Christ, Paul is understandably upset. Listen to what he has to say to them. He says, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. And even now, you are still not ready. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Who who then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Paul says, you've actually become so dependent on the milk of others that you've begun to confuse it with the meat of God and his word and what he gives us himself. You don't belong to Apollos or to Paul or to Pastor Gary or to Pastor Will, you belong to God. Sure, we might help feed you for, for a season, for a time, with milk while it's developmentally appropriate. We might even help continue to, to unpack and understand the meat of Scripture on Sunday mornings for years after that as you grow into maturity in Christ. But to become so dependent on, on that milk, on, on someone else's milk, that you use it as a substitute for the feast of solid food that God has set before you in his word. For Paul, that is, that is beyond pitiable. That is borderline idolatrous. If we're substituting milk for meat, there's meat here. And yet, sadly, this type of dietary imbalance is still all too common in the church today. How often do we hear otherwise mature Believers explained that they left a prior church because they weren't being fed. Have you heard that before? Maybe you've said it before. Being fed in the passive tense, like a toddler incapable of feeding himself. Now, please don't mishear me. I'm not saying that the church doesn't have a role, hopefully, for my job security, a vital role to play in, in our spiritual growth as believers. But if, if we just extrapolate from the context the historical context of 1 Corinthians 3 there, I think Paul is saying that if we've been Christians for any period of time, any significant period of time, certainly 18 months in the case of the church in Corinth, then we shouldn't be relying primarily on being fed by others for spiritual nourishment. That should not be our primary source of our, of our diet, diet intake. What was that great promise that we just studied in 2 Peter together a few weeks ago in here? His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Through the knowledge of me being passed on to you or Pastor Gary, but through the knowledge of him. That is the meat. The knowledge of him as we get to know him through his word. He's provided us with all that we need here for a healthy, striving, spiritual 
life through the knowledge of himself, his living presence available to us and his living abiding word. Come and eat your fill. Eat your fill. If you've been a believer for any significant period of time, the better reason then to leave a church is not because they're, they're not feeding you, but it's because they're not equipping you to feed yourself. They're still spoon-feeding you instead of teaching you and training you and pushing you to actually learn how to feed for yourself. And some churches, to be really honest, some churches intentionally do that. Some churches out there, they will intentionally try and keep you dependent on the church's milk, the pastor's milk, or the, pre, the, the preacher, the priest's milk. Because again, it's good job security. If I can convince you that, that you can't possibly understand God's word without me, you can't possibly have a direct, unmediated relationship with the Father without going through me. It's good job security, but it's horrible shepherding. That is not our job as pastors. And collectively, I think we need, as the church, to confront this consumeristic mindset in the American church, this transactional mentality where I give my monthly tithe to the church and in return I expect them to feed me. Success in the church is no longer measured by how effective we are at growing milk drinkers into meat eaters, but rather by which pastor has the best milk in town. And we've lost the radical nature of a truly biblical philosophy of ministry, the kind that Paul lays out for us in Ephesians 4, where he says, and Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. Why? To feed milk? No, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, be infants, be milk dependent. Christ gave the church its leaders not to do the best ministry in town, not to run the best programs and ministries to serve the best milk, but to equip the saints, to equip you to produce milk. West Hills might have only two full-time pastors on staff, but we should have 200 full-time ministers, right? The priesthood of all believers doing the work that Jesus left us with. And so what is that work? What is that work that we've been called to? Well, it brings us to, to the third and final type of dietary imbalance, the one that the church in Jerusalem in our passage from Hebrews 5 suffers from. Churches filled with longtime believers who should not only be eating meat by now, but should be producing milk themselves who in the author's own words, by this time, ought to be teachers. They ought to themselves be producing milk, feeding the gospel to others. And so we see there's actually a third type of believer to add to that category. There's milk drinkers, there's, milk, there's meat eaters, and then there's meat, milk producers. It's a third type that we should strive for according to Scripture. Those who, to paraphrase John F. Kennedy... Ask not what their church can feed them, but what they can feed others as his church mature and equipped for the work of evangelism and discipleship in the world. This, says the author of Hebrews, says Paul, says Peter, this says Jesus himself. Remember the Great Commission, go and make disciples. This is mature manhood. This is the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should strive for. And so when I asked that, that question in the sermon title, Got Milk, that's the, that's the milk that I'm curious about. 
I'm curious, do we, West Hills, do we got milk that we're producing, that we're, that we're actually being faithful to, to feed and pass on to others in whatever form of spiritual milk that they are developmentally ready to digest at the time. And so I want to invite us this morning to, to take a sort of spiritual dietary inventory. And I, I ask these questions, again, not out of any guilt or shame or condemnation, but just to be really honest, this is between you and God. Again, you don't need a mediator. This is between you and God. Which type of believer best describes you? Which, which category of these best describes you? Milk drinker, meat eater, and milk producer. But think, too, about how, how, how long have you been a believer now? What is developmentally appropriate? This is not about, again, remember category one. Maybe you need some extra training before you go out and lead a Bible study. Right? Maybe you, you need a little bit more milk before you, you dive into that, that meat. But maybe for some of us, you know, we're inclined to use our attendance on Sunday mornings or the fact that we always have Joy FM on in our car when, we, when we're driving as substitutes for the meat, the meat of God's word, of God's presence. It's not a replacement. Or maybe we're in, that, that, in between that second and third category where you are a meat eater. And maybe you are as spiritually well-fed as they come. Are you feeding others? Have you made that, that turn to that, that next step to that third category that the author of Hebrews lays out for us to produce milk for others. And before we move on to, to, to the last point here, I, I also want to recognize, I don't want to take for granted that just because you're here in church that any of these describes you, right? I, I want to just make the, the caveat uh, for the category of person who's, who's maybe been exposed to milk or meat or whatever, but, but that you, you haven't accepted Christ in, in faith for yourself personally yet at all. So any category of believer wouldn't, wouldn't describe you. And if, you're, if that's you and you're here, there's no judgment. This is a safe place for you. That's why we, we never, we don't only feed meat here. I mean, we're, we're going to keep giving milk too because we want to see people come to faith here at West Hills. We want to recognize that we've got people at all different spiritual paths, uh, points in their spiritual walk here. And I don't want to assume, I'm reminded of the, the basketball analogy because we're in the middle of NBA finals. I don't want to assume that because you're here, it's like, you know, what do they say? Um, putting on a, a Cavaliers jersey doesn't make you LeBron James any more than, you know, being here at church makes you a believer, right? So I don't want to assume anything and I don't want you to e either. If, if that's you, please find me, find one of our elders after the service today. We would love to talk with you more about the milk of this faith. Of, of Christianity, of the good news in Jesus and why he's so good. Um, but for all of us and for the rest of us here, um, all three of these categories, they are important for a healthy, well-balanced diet. And so that's, that's where the metaphor kind of breaks down because while two-thirds of us are lactose intolerant, none of us are spiritual milk intolerant. Our spiritual milk does the body of Christ good no matter your spiritual maturity. So we keep drinking milk. We never get past the milk as believers. Remember, Jesus said, you can't enter my kingdom unless you become like what? A child. You have to become like a child. We get, the gospel is beautiful in its simplicity, and so we don't overcomplicate it. Those basic principles that the author of Hebrews mentions in, in verse 12 of chapter 5, they're just that. They're basic. 
Don't think basic like, you know, for the simpletons. Think basic like essential. They are essential, the gospel. So we keep drinking the milk, but let's be meat eaters as well. Drink milk, eat meat, let's hunger for the deeper parts of the faith. There's so much depth to Christianity. There's so much depth to God's word. There's so much richness here to study, spend a lifetime studying and unpacking. So much depth and richness to God himself. Uh, You'll notice that we've stopped printing the questions for further discussion in the bulletins over the summer. Um, and that's because we're trying something different out in our life groups over the summer. Rather than simply discussing the sermon, uh, the, the milk, or even relegating our discussion to the meat of this one passage uh, from that the sermon covered that week, I've told my life group, and I've encouraged our life group leaders to tell theirs, that, that every week this summer, come with your own milk that you have gleaned, digested from the meat of God's word personally yourself. Maybe it was the sermon passage. Maybe that's what stuck out to you most this week. But maybe it was through your own personal time in God's word, whatever Bible reading plan you're you're on. There's tons of great ones out there. If you need help getting started on a a Bible reading plan, prayer plan, come talk to us. We can help with that as well. But, But that's what we're trying as a life group because it enables us to do both number two and eat meat throughout the week as we chew on God's word, but also to go beyond that to point three and turn it in to milk that we can then share with others to help nourish them as well. Nothing gets me personally as a pastor more excited than hearing that this is actually going on at West Hills. Uh, Amy Henley, um, who I don't think is here this morning. Amy, are you here? I'll pick on her. Um, Or I'll celebrate her. She uh, came up to to me in in the foyer a couple weeks back, the week after the Mother's Day sermon on mentoring and discipling one another. And uh, she she told us, well, Margaret's here. Um, She she told uh, Pastor Gary and I that that she and Margaret Kelly are going to start doing that. And, and doing that mentor, that, that milk-feeding thing. And that, to me, as a pastor, that fires me up. That excites me. That's why I do this. I don't want to be... I would so much rather West Hills be known as a church in town that, where, that is full of milk producers than to be known as a church that has the pastor who happens to have the best milk and preach the best sermons. Personally, I don't think the, the, the best... I don't think we could be known as, as that if we're not, if that is not translating into milk production. Like, I don't see how I could, or Pastor Gary could be considered that if it's not translating into that kind of action and, and, and discipleship in your, in your lives. So hopefully it's not an either or. <laughs> hopefully it's a both and, it's an all of the above. Drink milk, eat meat, produce milk. And so I'll close with this. In preparation for this sermon, I, um, I called and I asked my father, who is a gastroenterologist, uh, Dad, what would happen if I switched to a milk-only diet? And he replied, you'd be vitamin deficient because milk doesn't have any vitamin C or iron. Most types lack vitamins A and D. Uh, you'd get malnourished because milk isn't a complete protein. It lacks many of the amino acids you need. Your muscles would begin to waste away over time. You'd lose weight without sufficient caloric intake. Taste fatigue. You would likely experience lactose overload, leading to nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, bloating, gas, cramps, and you may well induce milk allergies by consuming that much of it. Rashes, hives, edema in your GI tract. All in all, I wouldn't suggest it. That's what he said. But, he concluded, but a meat-only diet isn't a lot better. That's not healthy either. It's about a well-balanced diet. We do all three. And so, Here's how I actually want to conclude this morning. 
And I am going to wrap up uh, a little early to give us some extra time, yes, out for the fellowship um, and the picnic, and I do hope you'll stick around for that. But more importantly, before we do that, I want to give us a little extra time uh, just to be with God. We don't do this a ton um, because you can do it on your own. I mean, that's the beauty of our, of our faith. Like our, our faith is a 24-7 faith, and we have that kind of direct, unmediated access to the Father. And yet, I also want to recognize this morning that for many of us, myself included, sometimes to give a, a three, four, five-minute chunk of just being with the Lord uh, here in, in his house, in his presence, personally, directly unmediated, that that might be the largest chunk of time today, this week, this month, I don't, that, that, that you've carved out to do that. Um, so we have, we have time. And so I'm going to cut the milk short to let us just spend some time with the meat. And for you, whether that's picking up your Bible, whether that's God calling to, to mind Scripture right now that you want to read, that you want to memorize, that you want to meditate on, whether that's just praying, whether that's just closing your eyes and, and praying, whether that's singing, worshiping. I'm going to invite Scott in a moment and the worship team back up to just play softly for us in the background. Uh, and then we'll, we'll close in song as well. And I'll open us in prayer, but I do want to give you um, just, just a few moments to uh, enjoy God's presence, to enjoy him this morning without any ulterior motive, without any rushing and busyness and distractions of life. We've got child care. The kids are tucked away. You can just enjoy God's presence this morning, right? So let's pray. Father, your presence is so sweet. You're so good. You're such a good, loving, merciful, forgiving, compassionate, wonderful, glorious, beyond any words we could say in worship, God. And Father, I, I pray that... Uh, this exhortation from Hebrews 5 and from my un attempted unpacking it, uh, uh, that you would work in spite of me, in spite of uh, my imperfections as a milk producer, any, any imperfections that have crept in in my words uh, that have tainted the glory of who you are and what your word is for us this morning, I pray that that would not stand in the way now of us collectively experiencing you for the saving, wonderful, good God that you are. Father, I pray that, uh, I just thank you that our salvation, that our eternity, that our standing with you is not dependent on our faithfulness and our obedience and our ability to keep the, the law, to impress you, to, to even do what you've called us to do this morning, that our standing with you is not determined by our milk production, 
that you don't rank us. There's not a leaderboard somewhere in heaven where we get bonus points for uh, being a more mature Christian or having more you know, people that we're discipling or mentoring. Father, that, that in your house, there's just one table and there's a seat for all of us. We thank you for your grace. And so, Father, as we just spend a, a few minutes here without busyness, distraction, just to enjoy you, to be with you, to listen for you this morning, would you speak? Would you come and be with us, stay with us, be real to us, be intimate, be personal in our hearts, in our spirits, our souls right now? Whatever word that anyone here needs to hear from you, whether, it's, whether it is conviction about uh, striving for, to, to feast on the meat of your word, whether it's conviction about uh, striving to, to not be a spiritually full, bloated, fat Christian who doesn't do anything with it, and, but who, who is faithful to give back and to invest and disciple others, or whether it's just grace. Some of us just need to, some of us have been carrying those burdens already, and we don't need to hear a message of do, 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 do more, but we just need to hear it's done, it's finished. You meant it on the cross, it is finished. And so we want to just, any ministry we would do, we want to be in response to that, to what you've already done. We thank you. We thank you for giving us all that we need in yourself, in your son, in your word for a healthy spiritual diet. So would you be with us now as we spend time with you?